Amen. How many of you are like me where you've done this before, where you have uh, at night when you had a clear sky and you just, you laid on your back and you looked at all the stars, especially on a really clear night or if you're in an area where there's not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, light around you and you could really see the stars. How, how many of you, when you looked at that, you felt really, really, really small? And, and the vast of the universe, right? You're thinking, wow, I, I, you feel so small. And, and, and I was, as I was, sometimes when you lay there and you think, but, but yet there's this God who created the billions upon billions and trillions or whatever stars and the planets and created all this stuff, yet God knows me. And here's the thing I want you to see over, this, over the next 10 weeks as we go through the summer series on, on God is, I want you to know something right off the bat. God knows you. And we think with all the people that live in the world and all the problems that are in the world, God is big enough to know you and know exactly what you're going through. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows every hair in your head. He knows everything about you. And I think there's a lot of different views that people have about God. And I think the best place that we can start off is let's see what the Bible says about God. Isn't that a good place to start? Would you agree with me that's a good place to start? Let's see what his word has to say about him. And, and, and let's, let's look at it this way. As we set a foundation today, um, let's set the foundation of what God says about himself. Not what other people may say or think or assume about God. But let's look into God's word today and see what God actually says about himself. And then what we're going to do is, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at different characteristics of God. And we're going to actually see who God actually is and how God wants to play the biggest part of your life, that none of us in this place are an accident. That God uses the things in our lives for his glory, that he wants to use you. He's created you for his glory. You're not a mistake. And God wants to know you. And, and, and when you look up at the heavens and you look up at the stars, and you look at the planets, um, God is screaming out to us saying, I want to know you. I've created all this stuff so that you could know me. And I've done it because I love you. Not, not I love you because you've done all this stuff or we think we're great or we think we're, we're perfect or we've done all these great accomplishments. God says, listen, I know all your mistakes. I know all your failures. And God still says, I love you because I just love you. He, isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that God doesn't love us just because we've done all these great things or, or God doesn't love us because we've made all these mistakes in our lives? God says, I love you because... And that's why I created you. How many of you, you've ever um, uh, prejudged someone? Maybe, maybe, maybe you saw someone that maybe didn't dress like you or look like you, and you kind of you prejudged someone. You, you thought they were a certain way, and then you got to know them, and they weren't what you actually Thought. And it's easy for us to judge someone um, that we don't know. There was this interesting thing I read uh, about two NFL players from the St. Louis Rams who want to bring awareness to homelessness. And so what they did for a day, they, uh, they, I think they had four dollars in and they put on really old clothes and they pretend to be homeless. And what they did is they went to the very stadium where they play football and, and they were panhandling and, and just looking to try to get money. And these guys in, the, in their dress and everything else, they're, they're players, 
football players that they played with didn't even recognize them and they wouldn't even look at them and they, they would walk around them and they would try to avoid them and so on and so forth. And, and, and for these NFL players, they really felt like neglected and they felt like people really didn't care about us. Here's our own players that we play with week in and week out, didn't even know who we were and they just judged us from the outward appearance. What I want to look at today is I want to look at who God really is. And, and let's, not, let's not, maybe some of you are here today and maybe you have some concepts of God or maybe you've been hurt in your past or maybe some things have happened in your past that, that you just can't explain. And, and maybe you've blamed God for that. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I'm really, I'm just angry at God. Why would God let this person die? Why would God uh, let this thing happen in my life? Why would God allow this health issue? Why would, why God, why did you allow these things? If, if you're supposed to be so good, then why is there so much of this stuff going on in the world that, that isn't good? And maybe you're angry here this morning. And what I want to do is I want to, I, want, I really want to look at what the Bible says about God. It's interesting about the person of Jesus is that Jesus was falsely accused about so many different things. And people just view Jesus the wrong way. And one of the people that really viewed Jesus the wrong way were the religious of Jesus's day. And there's a, there's an interesting story in John chapter nine of a, of a blind man that Jesus healed. Now the religious leaders didn't like this. And so what they did was, is they, they were very concerned and they went to this man to interrogate him about Jesus because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And they were kind of mad that Jesus was kind of breaking some of their man-made rules. And so they were trying to say that Jesus was a sinner, that he didn't keep the Sabbath because he healed this man on the Sabbath and you weren't to do any work on the Sabbath, which that particular thing was absolutely ridiculous. But the religious leaders were, were in no way wanting to know Jesus or get to know him as a person they just wanted to interrogate him because he was messing up their world. He was messing up their man-made rules and these rules that, 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 that ran amok. And, and I love the response that, that this man that is now healed from blindness says to these religious leaders who are interrogating them about Jesus. They're trying to find something wrong about Jesus. They're, they're prejudging Jesus. They're, they don't really care about getting to know Jesus. They're just prejudging Jesus based on the healing of this man. And, and it's recorded for, for us in John 9, 24 and 34. Let me just read it for you because it's really interesting what this man says. It says, the second time they summoned the man who was blind and they said, give glory to God, telling the truth. And they said, we know this man is a sinner. How dare he heal people? Shame on him. We know that he's a sinner. And, and this man's reply is, is priceless. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. Woohoo, right? And so then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answers, I told you already and you did not listen. Let, let me pause here for just a moment. The hardest person to really want to know God is the person that refuses to listen. Let, let me just say this real quick. God speaks to us in so many ways. God shouts to us in so many ways. But the hardest person that, that, that rebels against God is the person that refuses to listen. There may be all this evidence all around, all around, all around, but God can't deal with a hardened heart. When a heart is hardened towards God and refuses to listen, 
Very difficult. And that's what these Pharisees, these so-called religious people who, who, who said that they thought that they knew God, they had a knowledge of God, but they really didn't know God. They had a knowledge about him. He kind of fit into their world and they made all these religious rules, but they really didn't know God. They're, actually, their hearts were hardened to the very son of God who came to show them the way. And so, so he, the, the man answered, I told you this already. And, 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 and so he, I love the way he, he answers. He says, um, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> I mean, that, that was a good answer. Now, now they're getting furious, right? And said, and then, then they, then they hurled insults at him and they, 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 they said, they said, uh, you are this fellow disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this follower, we do not even know where he comes from. Now, the man, once again, makes a great comeback here. He says, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard God of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So now they don't know what to say. So to this they say, well, you're steeped in sin at birth. And how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. That's a good remark, right? Okay, that's enough. They didn't know what to do. See, see, what is the problem here? The problem is the religious leaders didn't know Jesus. They didn't really care about getting to know Jesus. He was getting in the way of their lives and their religious system. The religious leaders didn't care really about people. They cared more about people following their rules. So here's, here's where I want to be careful. As we get to know God and who God really is, let's take away some of the hurdles that maybe we have put in front of people in the process of them getting to know God. See, see what we, we tend to do sometimes in our religious system, let's point the finger at us, right? Sometimes in our religious circles, what we do is we expect people to do certain things, to act certain ways, to dress certain ways, to do certain, to say certain things, to have everything down, have everything down pat before they can even come into the kingdom of God. And what we end up doing is we put all these hurdles in front of them without ever giving them the gospel message, without ever telling them, listen, God loves you. He died for you. He wants to know you. He gave his life for you. He wants you to come to him. But before we do that, many times we say, well, you got to do this. You got to change this. You got to do blah, 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 blah. How many know that the doors of our church are open to anyone who walks through them? Anyone who walks through them. And I want everyone to know in our community, you are welcome here. We want you to hear the wonderful message of Christ without putting any hurdles or obstacles before you. We want you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and why he came. I don't want to put all these obstacles. So, so, so whoever comes through these doors, I don't care what their background is, what they look like, whatever it is, we want to come and we want to embrace them and we want to love them into the kingdom of God and let them experience the gospel message of Jesus Christ and how he heals and redeems and sets people free. Amen? That, that's our, that should be our response as a church. That, that deserved a little hand clap. That, that was good. We can do that. That's okay. So... 
So this man, in so many words, call, you know, calls the Pharisees to the carpet, and their only response was to call the man a sinner. They had no argument to his response. And the only thing the man could say is this. All I can tell you this. I don't know Jesus, maybe personally, but all I can tell you is this. I was blind. Now I see. And for those of you here today that are skeptical about God, that you're skeptical about who Jesus is, the only thing I could tell you about a hardened sinner like me at the age of 15, hardened criminal sinner at the age of 15, right? Um, I was a sinner just like anybody else. My sin stunk like, like everybody else, right? Um, the only thing I can tell you is, and I was raised in church and Sunday school and, and, you know, had my children's picture Bible. You know, I had all that stuff, right? I knew the stories. I, I knew the stories of the Bible, um, but it wasn't until I was 16 until I knew the God of the Bible. And all I can tell you is that I can relate to this man because all of a sudden one day I was blind and then all of a sudden Christ came into my life and into my heart and redeemed me and changed me. And all I can say is I was blind and now I see. And all of a sudden all those stories, all the things I learned, all that foundational stuff became real to me. And the only thing I can tell you is the, the day I walked into my high school, it was like this transformation that happened. You walked in the week before, then the week I walked in after I became a follower of Christ, something changed. Something was different. And I'm like, I feel different. Something has changed. I mean, this isn't the same. It was Jesus Christ who changed my heart and life. He changed my heart from someone who didn't want to go to church who could care less about going to Sunday school or learning about Jesus or reading the Bible to someone who really wanted to know the God of the Bible. Only God can do that. Only God can change our hearts. And God just doesn't want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him. That, that, that you know of his love and his grace and his compassion that will change your hearts and lives when you follow him. And that's what this man came to know after his experience with Jesus. See, it's interesting how we make assumptions about God without really knowing him. And we can create a God, maybe out of my own experience or what I think, or maybe what other people think, but we have to divine, define God through the scriptures. And that's what I want to do. And so what I want to do is let's get this definition of God straight. What is, what is this Biblical definition and description of God. And, and what we see through, specifically the Old Testament, and we'll jump into the New Testament too, is, is what we see that the names in the Bible were very important. And, and it, it usually set the course for someone's future. And, and I want to look at the very, the, the very nature of God, the, the trueness of God, and, and the terms that we use about God and how God described himself to us. So you've got your notes in there, and I, I really, there's a ton of scripture today. I don't apologize about that, but there's a ton of scripture in there because I want you to look up these verses later and I want you to keep the bulletin because these are just, many of you know these names of God, but I just want to go through these names of God to encourage you today so we can see this is God. This is who he is. This is how he wants to know us today. And so we're going to look at um, these different names of God, and this is very true of God and his name and who he is. And so the widely used term is we usually say God. And, and in the Hebrew, that would be the word El. And it's a, a derivation of 
Elam or Elohim or Eloah, uh, these names for God are very similar to the Greek word for God, theos, or the English word God. And so we see that word El many times used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew. El was used in combination with other words to describe who God is. How do you describe God of the universe? How do you describe this all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe? How do you describe him? Well, here's how he is described so that you and I could understand him and know him in a personal way. God wanted to know Israel in a personal way. He wanted to be their God. When he took them out of Egypt, out of their slavery, out of bondage, and brought them into the desert, he wanted to establish a relationship with them. And what he used was he used his servant Moses as this go-between to say, this is how I want to relate to you now. You've been in bondage. I'm the one that delivered you. You didn't set yourselves free. I did. And I delivered you from the most powerful nation in the world at that time to show you that I'm God. And what he does is he establishes the commandments to establish their relationship with God and to establish their relationship with one another. So from the very beginning, God wanted to have this relationship, this personal relationship with Israel. And so let me just give you a couple, for instance, with, the, with, the, with El, the name God. We see it, for instance, in the compound of El, Elyon, which speaks of God as most high. In Psalm 78, 35, it says this. It says, they remembered that God was their rock, that God was most high, that God was their redeemer. That's El Elyon. We also see this word El used when, when God speaks himself as El Shaddai. Remember the Amy Grant song? El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Remember that? How many remember that song? Please help me. Some of you that are old remember Amy Grant. Okay, good. Thank you. My kids are going, who is Amy Grant? Okay, we'll get you our cassette tape. And we'll plug it in for you, our eight track of Amy Grant. El Shaddai, Genesis 17, one speaks of this El Shaddai. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, what? I am God Almighty. Walks, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. El Shaddai, that God Almighty. Now, what we see frequently used in the Old Testament to describe God is the name Jehovah or the name Yahweh. This was the personal name for God to Israel. This name means self-existent or the one who causes to be. When, when Moses had the encounter with God in Exodus chapter 6-2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the self-existent one, the one who causes everything to be. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am the one that will go before you. I am the one that will take care of Pharaoh. I am the one that will lead you through the desert. I am Jehovah. I am that self-existent one. I am the personal God for you. I want to know you. And this name is most often translated in our English word, Lord. So when you see the word Jehovah or Yahweh, you see the word Lord translated 
in our English for our English word. Now this name for God is often seen in combination with other descriptive words for God. And I love these because this makes God very personal. This is how God wanted to relate to Israel as you read through the old Testament. And this is what we're going to go through today. We're going to see God speaks to himself this way. God is this. And so they speak of his character and who he is. And probably one of the most popular words that we see for Jehovah is Jehovah Jireh. Remember that word? And, and Jehovah Jireh is, is the, the Lord that will provide. How many remember that song? Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, four people know the song. Yes, yeah. Okay. We used to sing that in youth group. I'll tell you what, that was the youth group song for me. We'd sing that song, I would be rocking out, clapping my hands, I had my tambourine. Woo! All right. Okay. So we see Jehovah Jireh. This is where the Lord provides. The Lord provides. We see this in Genesis, a great description of this, of how God wanted to provide for his people. We see a great description of this in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, when Abraham takes Isaac to sacrifice him to the Lord. And I love what the word says here. It says, so Abraham called that place after he, he, he was going to put Isaac on the altar. And then God says, wait. I provided for you something else. And he provided a ram out of the thicket for them to sacrifice instead of his one and only son. And and we're going to see how this relates into the New Testament. But so Abraham called that place. He said, this is the place where the Lord will provide. And to this day, it said on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. Now I want you to remember that because this is so important when it comes to our relationship and the fulfillment that we see in Jesus Christ. God is this Jehovah Jireh, this place where, where Abraham offered Isaac to the Lord and God provided a ram instead is this place is that God is the one that ultimately provides for me. Is God your provider today? Isn't he a good, isn't, doesn't he provide for us in so many different ways? He's so personal in how he does that. Let's look at the next one. Jehovah Rapha. This is the Lord that heals. Exodus 15, 26 says, he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And actually that word heal in the Hebrew, that Rapha means to make whole. I want to make you whole. I'm going to bring salvation to you. I'm going I'm I'm to take care of everything in your life. I'm going to bring spiritual healing to you. The provision that we see through Christ too is also physical healing. God says, I am the Lord that heals. I'm the one that will be with you. Uh, the things that happened to Egypt because of their rebellion and the hardness of their hearts. If you follow me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm the one that will be with you. I'm the one that will heal you. Jehovah Rapha. The next one we see there is Jehovah Nisi. And this word means the Lord is our banner. Exodus 17, 15, we see that Moses built an altar call and called it, the Lord is my banner. The, the word banner reflects the idea of to be lifted high or to raise. Moses built an altar because it was God who defeated the enemy before him. It's, it's, it's God who is over our enemies. Nothing is above him. He is our 
banner over us. I've got another song, but I won't sing it because a lot of these come from songs, and I just they're they're just they're just flowing through my head right now. Okay, so the Lord His banner over us is okay. I'm sorry. I just I went there. I'm sorry. I can't help it. But I was a children's pastor for a while. A while, and we sang all these songs. Um, I love the next one, Jehovah Shalom. Everybody knows this one, right? The Lord is our peace, right? Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. I, I love this. Um, and, and the way this word is used in one area in the Old Testament is with Gideon when, when, when God had him come up and fight against the Midianites. And Gideon was, was weak and he felt like he was the least among his clan. His clan was the least among all of Israel. But God says, you are a mighty warrior. You are a mighty hero. I want to use you to defeat this massive army of the Midianites. And before he went out to defeat the Midianites, he had a real encounter with God. And God encouraged him and said, you can do this in my strength. And in Judges 6.24, it says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord and there, there and called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. He will give me victory over the enemies. I don't have to worry. The Lord is my peace. And so where he gained his strength, Gideon, was not from himself, but from the peace of the Lord. How many of us here today need God's peace in our life? From all the things that go around us, we need Jehovah Shalom in our life. Let's look at the next one. Jehovah Raha or Roha means the Lord is my shepherd. Now, Anyone that we can point to in the Old Testament that understood that the Lord is a shepherd is, is, is David. Psalms 23.1, David understood that as he penned these, these words. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Jehovah Raha or Jehovah Roha. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. The next one is Jehovah Tesitkanu. And this is the Lord is our Righteousness. Jeremiah expresses this. He's penned this in Jeremiah 23, 6, where he said, and the days of Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. The Lord, our righteousness. The next one you see, there's Jehovah Shema. And this is the Lord. I love this one. I just like the word Shema. Just, it sounds cool. But Jehovah Shema, I love this. It means that the Lord is present. Here's, here's what that means. Um, Ezekiel gets this vision, the prophet Ezekiel, of what, of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like. And this is what he says in Ezekiel 48, 35. He says, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and, and, and the name of the city from that time shall be, shall be called, the Lord is there. His presence is there. This vision of this new Jerusalem where there's no more tears and no more pain and, and no more taxes and no more of that stuff that just gets in our way, right? He, he gets this, this vision of that the Lord is always there. How many know that being in the presence of the Lord for one second changes everything? How many, how many just this morning when we were worshiping just felt the presence of the Lord? As you, get, as you get God's people together and you begin to worship and we begin to lift up the Lord, it's amazing how God just settles into to, to, to our place and how God just show, shows you that he is there. And this is where God wants us to know that he can be there every single day for us. How many know that even in the midst of a difficult trial or circumstance, we can just say, God, you're present. You're always there. You're Jehovah Shammah. You're, you're always there. You are always 
present. Nothing will, will cause us to, 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 for you to leave us or forsake us. You are there even in the midst of my difficult circumstances. And when I feel overwhelmed and I feel like I just, I just can't go any further, God's presence is there saying, I'm not going to leave you. Is, any, is anything going to separate you from my love? Is anything? No. I am there. Jehovah Shema. Another name that we see for God um, is the word Adonai. And, and we sing that song, Praise Adonai. Um, basically what Adonai means, it's the word my Lord. This title was frequently used in the books of the prophets. And what, when you see the word Adonai expressed um, in the Old Testament, it expresses uh, dependence or submission. Um, and so uh, there's another name, not only Jehovah or Yahweh or El, but Adonai it just expresses this dependence and submission to the Lord and a personal God that my, my Lord, my God is there for me. One of the best definitions that, that I've read about God is, is Burkhoff's Systematic Theology uh, book. He, 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 he kind of framed it this way, and I, I like this definition that he said about God um, with all these names that we've seen. It basically says this, God is one. Absolute, unchangeable, infinite in his knowledge and wisdom, his goodness and love, his grace and mercy, his righteousness and holiness. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, absolute, unchangeable, infinite in his knowledge and wisdom, his goodness and his love, his grace and his mercy, his righteousness and his holiness. Now, here's, here's why I want to tie all this together. Because we can know these things about God. And how many you know that when you've read through the Old Testament, that we see how Israel failed miserably to know their God. And God set up this covenant, says, if you obey these things, I will bless you and I will be with you. But for some reason, their hearts became hardened so many times and they would backslide and they would walk away from the Lord. And God knew in his infinite wisdom, the best way that he could reach us that the best way that God could come into our existence so that we could know him personally, and that was through his son, Jesus. Ultimately, all these names of God are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill all these characteristics. He came to fulfill all these things for you and I. Jesus did that for you and I. He came to fulfill these qualities of God. Now, the, the, this scripture verse is not in in your notes here, but if you want to write this down, if you're just looking at the notes there, um, I want to look at just Hebrews chapter eight. And I just want you to look, I want to look at verses six through 12 real quick as we talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And what God did in his infinite wisdom is you have this first covenant. And then there's this new covenant that God fulfills through his son, Jesus, for you and I. And what the Hebrew writer does is he writes this to encourage these Hebrew Christians that are, um, uh, 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 they're, they're being persecuted and they're wanting to turn their backs on God. And, and so this letter is written to encourage them not to turn their back and, and how Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, everything God wanted to say, he wanted to say through his son. And I like what the Hebrew writer says here in Hebrews 8, 6 through 12. He explains it very well. He explains the ministry of Jesus. He says, but the ministry of Jesus has received its superior to theirs as the covenant, which he is the mediator, is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said this, 
Now, God sets his covenant, but the, the people broke that covenant. They, they turned their backs on him. They, they didn't know God as Jehovah Jireh many times. And he says, I want to be your, I want to be your provider. They didn't know him as Jehovah Shalom. I want to be your peace. But yet they turned and they became fearful of the enemy around them. So what does God say here? And, 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 and he uses the prophet Jeremiah to speak this. Listen to these words. These are incredible. He says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them out of the, uh, uh, by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and they turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I, this is what God says I'm going to do. They're just not going to know it, but I'm going to do something even greater. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or a neighbor, his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Everybody said, amen. So how can God do this? Well, what God does is he fulfills this new covenant through his son, Jesus. Listen, listen to this. If you catch anything here, just catch me right here. How many of you ever in your life, you just felt like a failure and you've fallen short of God? And you felt like, you know, Pastor, I don't know about you, but there's so many times that I've let fear grip my heart and I, I failed miserably there. There's so many times that I, I, I should have allowed God's presence to lead me, but I failed. There's so many times that, that, that um, God, I, I know God could provide, but I, I walked in fear and not thinking that, that God could provide for me in a situation. And, and we failed and we, maybe we've turned from God or maybe we've doubted God and, and we knew these things. We knew them, but, but we doubted them. You see, God knew that and God says, listen, you can't do it on your own. You can't fulfill these things on your own. You need a savior. And what Jesus did is he did those things for us by which we couldn't do ourselves. And so what he did was he sent his son to, to, fill, to fulfill all these righteous acts of God, to fulfill all the commandments of God, all 613. You broke one, you broke them all. And God says, in his infinite wisdom, he says, I'm going to send a perfect savior, my own son, to fulfill all these commandments for you. You put your trust in Christ and he will be all these things for you. And so what we see is when we, when we see this fulfillment, we see that Jesus now, as we come to him as our Lord and Savior, we see Jesus as our Jehovah Jireh that the Lord will provide. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us his son. We couldn't, we, we, we couldn't fulfill the righteous demands of God. We needed a savior. And here's, here's the reference. God provided a ram for Abraham. The ram was uh, uh, the, the sacrifice instead of Isaac. This is a picture of Christ. God provides his son for us. Jesus becomes our sacrifice. God provides for us that which we could not provide for ourselves. Jesus is a true and better Isaac. He becomes a fulfillment for that for you and I. He provides for you what you couldn't do for yourself. 
And so many of us, we feel like failures because we feel like, man, I didn't read my Bible. And I didn't pray. And I'm like, oh, church. And, blah, 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 blah. and then we just feel like, you know, I just lift my hands up and I give up. God says, no, I've provided Jesus for you to do all those things that you couldn't do yourself. Put your trust in my son and his grace and his mercy. Stop doing it in your own strength because you're going to fail miserably. And that's the example that we can take from Israel. They try, if they didn't do it in their own strength, they could have found the blessings of God, but they did it in their own strength. And God says, I want to write it on their hearts because if I have it on their hearts, they're going to follow me and they're going to know me personally and I will be their God and they will be my people. They just won't know me, but they will truly know me for their personal God. Jesus fulfills Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jesus ultimately is our healer. Now, 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus forgives and heals our sins because he died a brutal death on that cross 2,000 years ago. And on that cross... He bore the wrath of God. He bore the weight of our sins and he himself became our substitute. He bore your sins for you. Perfect savior without sin who bore our sins and became that perfect sacrifice for God. He's the one. He's the only one that can heal the deepest wounds in your heart. The deepest wounds of sin that have have had those residual effects in your heart. The things that have been done against you. The, the hurt that has come against you. Jesus says, I want to go so deep. I want to go deep into those secret scars in your life that nobody else sees, but I see. And I want to heal them for you. And some of you sitting here today, you've got such deep scars in your life that no one else knows about. And you've been battling with those scars. You're embarrassed about those scars. You're shameful about those scars. You don't want to think about those scars. But Jesus says, I see those scars. And those scars that no one else knows about, I hung on the cross for you. And I want to be your healer today. I I want to be that Jehovah Rapha that, that goes into the deepest part of your heart and life. And I want to heal those scars that no one else. But you got to give it to the Lord. You got to confess those things to the Lord and allow him to be that healer for you. Give that to God. He knows. There's, you know what? Can I just say this? There, there's something so powerful about confession. When you speak that thing forward and you get it out, right? How many know sometimes you just get something and you're like, oh, glad I got that out. I feel better. There's something about the word of God says that we, when we confess our sins or we, we confess those things unto the Lord, Jesus becomes our righteousness and he heals us from those things when we confess those. He doesn't want you to hold on to him any longer. He is your healer today. Jesus is Jehovah Nisi. He's the the Lord, our banner. Jesus is victorious over our enemies. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rules and authorities by putting them to open chain, by triumphing over them through the victory of the cross and through his resurrection. He's Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. I love John 16.33, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have Peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus wants to be your peace for you. 
He wants to be the Jehovah Raha, the Lord is my shepherd. First Peter 2.25 says, For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Jesus is that perfect good shepherd. He doesn't drive us, but he leads us. And he leads us to those quiet, still waters. He protects us from the enemy. He is that perfect good shepherd. I always remember as a, a kid in the church I grew up with, they had a big stained glass window when you walked in and they had, and I just always remember, they always had, had the picture of Jesus with the lamb over his shoulder where, you know, it's the parable where he leaves the 90, 99 to find the one and he comes carrying it. Everybody remember that picture of just Jesus carrying the lamb? He said, he just carries us. He's that perfect good shepherd that will leave the 99 just to seek out that one to bring them back home. He's a perfect good shepherd. Jesus is our righteousness. Jehovah to Sitkanu. He's that Lord, our righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of a holy God. Through Christ, I am now made righteous. Paul says this so well in 1 Corinthians one thirty, where it says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And then lastly, um, he's Jehovah Shema for us, that the Lord is present. I, I love this. And I'm going to ask Katie just to slip to the piano and we're going to get ready just to, to take a time of communion and just celebrate what Jesus is to us. But I love this last one again, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. I love Matthew 28, 20, where here's, here's some of Jesus's last words that he speaks to us and to his disciples about comforting them that he is present. And he says, and teaching them to, he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, and surely I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want you to encourage yourself today that God is with you. Some of you, you may feel like God has left you. Some of you may feel like because of the circumstances that you've gone through your life, that God doesn't care about you. I want you to know here today that God loves you. He cares about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He wants you to experience his presence as you come to him. He wants you to know him personally. He wants to be the one that changes your heart. God is all these things. He's all these things and more. He's all these things and more than you could ever even think of or understand or express in your life. God is more than all of these things. And here's what we do. When we come to the Lord's table today and we take communion, um, everything is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The way you understand God's righteousness, the way you understand his presence the way you understand his healing, it's all fulfilled through Christ Jesus. You have to know Jesus. And Jesus says, anyone that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. And so here's what, here's what we're going to do as we just pray and we take communion as the family of God. What, what thing, what characteristic of God that was said today do you feel like you're lacking in your life? I want you to come to Christ and say, Christ, I need you to be my righteousness because I'm really battling some, some temptation in my life right now. I need you to be my righteousness. Some of you here today, you're battling um, whatever, fear, anxiety, or whatever. You need Jesus to be your peace today. Some of you are here today and you're saying, you know what? Um, 
you know, there are some things in my life that I just need some provisions in. We're going through some stuff and I just need Jesus to be my provider today. But why don't you come to him and say, Jesus, I need you to be these things for me because I can't do them. I've been worrying about them. I've been fretting about them. And, and I've kind of lost hope and I've lost faith and I'm struggling. Why don't you come to Christ and let him be those things that you can't be? You know, every time that I doubt my salvation or I doubt who I am in Christ, I have to come back to the grace of God and say, God, it's only provided for your grace. There's nothing I can do in my own strength or my own goodness or badness or anything else that could ever approach you. It's all done through your grace, through your son, Jesus. And I come back and I say, God, thank you for your grace that you keep taking me back, 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 you keep dusting the dust off my hair and my feet, you, you know, you, you, you fix my boo-boos, you do all the things when I mess up, and you take me back. That's his love and his grace. So as we come to the Lord and we pray today, what, what thing does Jesus need to fulfill in your life, in your heart today? Let him do that for you today. And let Christ be that healer today. And as we go on through the summer, we'll talk about all the different characteristics of God and we'll have a, have, have a great, have a good old fun time doing all that stuff. But let's get it right right now. Let's get a right vision of God in your heart and life. What does God need to do in your heart right now through his son, Jesus? And let's pray. And let's ask God to do that today. I want you to bow your hearts and your head with me today. How many of you just today, just with, the, just with the raised hand, say, Pastor Barden, just pray for me today. Yeah, there's definitely a certain characteristic or something that I just need to reach out to God and I need Jesus to be that for me today. How many just by the raised hand would say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. I'm going to be honest this morning. That's me. And I need God to do that in my heart and life today. That's me today. Amen. Let's just pray. Lord, as we come before your table today, we recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And without him, none of this stuff matters. We can't do it in our own strength. But God, you knew that you would eventually fulfill all these things that we couldn't fulfill ourselves or the Israelites couldn't fulfill themselves. You knew that you would fulfill all these things by sending us your son to do it for us so that we would not fail. In Christ, we are not failures. In Christ is our hope. In Christ is our healing. In Christ is our peace. In Christ, we are more than overcomers. And so God, help us to put our faith in Jesus, not in our circumstances, not in ourselves, not in our past, not in our failures. Help us to put our faith in Christ who overcomes all those things for us. That we can truly be born again in new creations of you. Thank you for putting your spirit inside of us. Thank you for giving us a new heart, just like Jeremiah prophesied 600 years before Jesus ever came, that all these things were going to be fulfilled in him. So God, give us a new heart. May we put our faith in you. Thank you that God, you are all these things and more. As we come to the table of the Lord, we just, Lord, we just want to express that it's all through Christ, that we remember your death. We remember 
your resurrection. We remember that you gave yourself for us so that all these things could be fulfilled. You are God, Jesus. You are the Son of God, and you did all this for us. So we're remembering that, and we're giving you glory for your perfect sacrifice and the healing that comes through that in our lives because of the brokenness that sin leaves behind. So we come to you today, and we ask for that cleansing today as we trust you with our very lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. This is what we're going to do.